Welcome to Collective Conversations. I'm your host, Mike Brewer, and today I'm joined by Paul Bergeron. And Paul wears many hats uh, in the industry, but he is the founder of Thought Leadership Today, and he also writes for SHRM. Uh, I'll let Paul unpack that, but also Globe Street. Paul, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. Are you, uh, yeah, have you had a busy last four to six months or longer? I. <laughs> feel like I've kind of crammed four to six months in the last month because, you know, summer was summer. Um, conference schedules getting kicked off. I've, I've run into you, Mike, a few times. So I'm glad that the uh, the season is underway and we can talk about that a little bit and do a couple couple shows, a couple coming up. Um, but yeah, it's great to get out. I, I agree with that. There's something about, uh, you know, cooler temperatures, uh, getting out, seeing your friends and certainly sharing uh i know you and i share a craft beer uh sort of fascination or liking and uh so that there's something about fall and all of that that kind of makes sense right uh, that I, I like a lot well i uh i wanted to kick off today you um you were kind enough to send me some bullet points uh just to kind of tease our conversation today one of the things that you sent over was a, a recent share by lisa trezine on linkedin about LinkedIn, and I just want to get your uh, get your thoughts about that. Yeah, LinkedIn is near and dear to my heart. I'm not big on Facebook. I used to be on Twitter a lot, but nobody really pays attention to that. But LinkedIn, I don't know. I find it fascinating and interesting. I've met a lot of people on there and stayed in touch with a lot of people on there. And Lisa put something up, an article that was written by someone observing LinkedIn's culture. And I think the headline was something like, how did LinkedIn get so weird or something like that? Um, that's right. Check Lisa's feed, you'll see it. I think it's on mine as well. Um, and it's really interesting where they went with it because it used to be a networking site. Hey, do you have a job? Hey, I see you got a promotion. And then it kind of became everything. It kind of be, be it a blending of all these other social channels. And um, one of the lines in the story, I wrote a few notes down was, have people forgotten how to be professional? I'm like, okay, well, what does that mean? Um, you know, does that mean be closed and not share a lot? Or does it mean to be inappropriate? I, I don't know. But we all know when we scroll through there, the people that we love and know that they have good information on there. And some people talk about their lives and some people talk about their jobs and their coworkers. Uh, some people talk about their hobbies and what they're up to. Some people find it inspirational. I mean, here's a, I've got plenty of examples here, but I don't know, about a month or two ago, the, uh, the Baltimore Orioles, my favorite baseball team, they just went into first place and they're doing really well and all this stuff. And I just put something up on LinkedIn that said, hey, here's a picture of Fenway Park. The Orioles are in first place. And I, it, that's not really <laughs> LinkedIn, but I said something like, um, you know, the Orioles use analytics and that's why they're succeeding or something. And then like two weeks later, I was talking to somebody who never corresponds with me on LinkedIn. I ran into him somewhere and he goes, well, you know, Paul's an Orioles fan. So I'm like, wow, this guy saw the post. This is great. This is great. And, you know, that kind of goes to everybody's own goal with what they post on LinkedIn. And I and I wrote this to Lisa on her on her thread there. And I said, I try to be informative, unique. I really do try to be funny and unusual and put things up there that no one else has put up there. Because if you go through LinkedIn enough, it kind of gets repetitive with a lot of the things that people put on there. So I was flying back from a conference in Vegas. I think it was or maybe Atlanta. I don't know what it was. And I stopped off. Yeah, it was Vegas. I stopped off at the Starbucks there and I actually ordered. I saw there were like 30 people in line. So I ordered ahead on the app, which I've never done. Thinking, all right, you know, let's try it. By the time I hit go, they had my coffee filled and on the counter within 30 seconds. I was blown away, blown away. So then my flight went through Denver. And I was hungry and there was a McDonald's there and I have the McDonald's app, but I've never used it before. And there's like, you know, when you see McDonald's, there's usually 50 people in line there. And there's like three people at the Chinese restaurant right next to it and all this other stuff. 
So I'm like, all right, I'm going to order some bacon, egg and cheese biscuits because I like them. They'll fill me up. They're inexpensive. I'll put them on the plane. I order them while I'm standing in line. And after I hit go, I start walking about 10 steps to where the pickup platform is. And my name is called. This is like 10 seconds. And I was so blown away by that, that I took a picture of my egg McMuffin or, you know, thing at the sure. airport. I put it on the counter. I put the background of like the terminal in there. That's the artwork that I used for my post. Cause I figured why the hell would anybody put a picture of a half eaten bacon egg? Yeah. And I wrote my little story about what happened and I got 2,500 views and like 15 comments over something like that. And one guy was like, McDonald's food is really bad. I can't believe you ate oh, that. Sure. And then, yeah. And then somebody else is like, wow, this is really cool. Great service, blah, blah, blah. So it's, it's amazing what kind of traffic you can get for what you kind of, what you put up there. Um, so that's always been my goal is to be a little unique and, and try to be funny um, and try to inform and hope it's information that people like. And I talk to people at shows about LinkedIn occasionally. Um, I'm blanking out on the name. I'll think of it in a minute. But um, he was like big into LinkedIn and all this stuff. We were talking strategy and everything like that. And then there's another guy who you and I know, I'm not going to mention names, but he puts a lot of stuff up there about his family, about like his weekend and, oh my gosh, you know, we're having fun and blah, blah, blah. And I talked to him about it. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. I just put it up there. And he goes, I went like four or five days and I didn't put anything up. And I was getting messages from people saying, are you okay? Is everything okay in your life? And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is his <laughs> channel to share what the heck's going on. It's not like work stuff. I mean, he puts work stuff up there too. But, you know, it's not like, oh my gosh, we, we just bought this new apartment building or, oh, we just hired this person. It's just fun stuff. So... I don't know. What do you, what do you get out of LinkedIn? I mean, I see you on there. You, you like a lot of stuff. You post stuff. Yeah. I, I think I'm potentially, uh, maybe I'll qualify this remark in saying that I think I'm this. <laughs> I'll leave room for maybe I'm, I'm not, but I, I tend to think about LinkedIn as more of a professional network and a place where I, I get uh, business information and business news. And I generally do that through the eyes of people like yourself and, and others that, that I admire people that I know that actually read articles and not just headlines <laughs> and, and actually take deep dives into specific topics. Like Dom beverage is another person I, I follow pretty religiously. Yeah. Um, because I think the information that comes from those people, Lisa's another person, Trozine, um, I tend to see it uh, as high value information and, and I, I sort of have an adverse reaction to the personal sharing. And this is just one guy's opinion, right? Because I don't look at LinkedIn as a place where uh, I'm looking for that stuff. It doesn't mean I care that you share it. It's just that I don't engage with it as much as I would if I saw that same post on Instagram, which is my other kind of go-to. Okay. And so if I were to bifurcate the two, I would say Instagram's where I'm keeping up with your life and I love it and it's fun and I engage with it. LinkedIn, I'm, I'm coming there for my MBA, right? My education. Okay. Yeah. So I, but that, that, again, that's just one guy's opinion. It doesn't mean that's the way a person should govern their, their information flow, right. Or, or sharing uh, information on that platform. So I, I don't, I don't know what the right answer is. I, I do know sometimes platforms get noisy and if it gets to that, I, I think the unsh the mute button in, in LinkedIn, like if I don't really care to see your content, I just mute you. You're still my friend, but I just mute you and I don't see as much of your stuff. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, push the levers, right? Yeah. yeah. Instagram's interesting. I, I go to it, but I don't post there because... I, I don't know. I just, I'm not that comfortable with using it. I'm sure it's very easy to use, but LinkedIn is what I know and use. And Instagram is what it's just like, it's all pictures. So, you know, it's different. Yeah. It's different. Um, 
totally agree with that. Yeah, so, I mean, like, I think one, one thing I would say, one thing I would say is that I don't. Um, there is one piece of content, um, again, one guy's opinion that I don't. I've seen people post things like, "Check me out! I got a million impressions, and I've got all this stuff and that kind of stuff." I I have a real allergic reaction to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you know, we can talk about how to get more traffic on LinkedIn and you mentioned the information and someone who actually reads the article. I find the best thing to do is you go to the comments section. So if you have a 500 word article in the Wall Street Journal, which most people don't subscribe to. So right away, I know people aren't going to be able to read the story. I like to go down there and steal a few comments out of it, a few facts and either put that in my post or put it in the comment section. And, I, and someone told me once that the more comments a post has, the more traffic it gets on the algorithm. So I'm kind of serving two purposes. Yep. I'm driving traffic and I'm letting people see the most important thing in an article, because when you're scrolling through LinkedIn, you, you know that's not the time where you have the mindset of saying, okay, I want to sit down and read a 1000 word article. That, that's just not oh, what right. you do. So that's if right. you could put little bite-sized things in there, it's all the better. Um, I like to put for networking. When I go to these events, I like to get pictures taken of the people that I'm hanging out with. And I like to put those on LinkedIn because in a way that kind of says, well, geez, Paul's standing next to this person. I'd like to get to know them. And by showing the picture, they're like, oh, Paul knows him. So next time I see him, there's an acquaintance there. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that kind of stuff. I, I like the camaraderie kind of stuff where you see, um, I know, I know we have a bullet point about a, an event that happened recently, I think in, the, in your company. I like that kind of stuff because I think it's endorsing others um, and amplifying right. others, right? To your point, right. I, I like that kind of stuff. And I do think that that is a good catalyst for connections. So that's I, I enjoy those kinds of, That's what it's that's all right. about. Um, you know, I went to a couple shows recently, Crew. Uh, in Atlanta, I was there like a week ago. If people don't know what that is and they're really wondering why the hell I was there, it stands, <laughs> stands for CRE Women. So it's a networking for women in real estate, but Globe Street, who I write for, sponsors it. So they've sent me there the last two years and I've had a blast. Um, I'd have to say <laughs> the first time I went in Chicago, I think there were two men there out of 1,200. And this time I counted eight out of 1400. So it's kind of interesting to be surrounded with the women professionals who know each other and little old me who, you know, but you know, that doesn't keep me down. I, I go and chit chat with people. Um, it's a great conference for any women real estate people out there. Find out about crew, find out about your local chapter, try to go to the national event. The speakers are always amazing. And they're about life's lessons and they're about the economy and jobs and, and real estate. So you get both bites of it. Um, I went to one presentation at lunch and sat with Lori Baker, CEO of Camden. Who yeah. I've, known, I've known her for a while and it's just kind of, she's like, Oh, cool. I'm going to network with Paul, you know, instead of all these women, but no, she, uh, she's a big time crew person. It was, it was a lot of fun. What did you, uh, I'm just curious what you took away, maybe top three to five things you took away from the conference as a whole. I know you, you share a few little kind of bullet point topics there, but what did you really uh, dig in on? Well, there was one speaker that I wrote about, I think I posted it on LinkedIn, and he was talking about how properties are graded, if that's the right word. You have an A property, a B property, and a C property, right? Everybody knows that, but if you ask anybody to write, maybe we should ask ChatGPT, but if if you ask anybody the definition of those classes, they're going to give you something. And this guy said, you know, it's outdated. It doesn't really work anymore. It was never really that good. And he spit out his own version of that, where he talked about three types of buildings. One was luxury, which basically means new. And then one was commodity, which basically means not new. And one was uh, infrastructure, which means it's required by the market, the city, the jurisdiction that it's in. And then he went into some details about that. Um, are people going to start using that as a, as a measurement stick? Probably not, but it was an interesting talk. Um, you could read about it on my LinkedIn. Um, and then he talked a little bit about, uh, 
what was the other thing? He talked about companies. Oh, he said primary markets. Uh, what's inter secondary markets and tertiary markets? He said that's another right. common um, designation class. And then he went into his own version of that, which was a lot to do with, okay, is this building or is this thing located in a part of town where people want to be? Is it in a city where people vacation and therefore people are desired to go there? And I mean, it, he just, he had it all figured out. Um, so that was pretty cool. That was probably my biggest takeaway there. I mean, some of the other sessions I went to, one was about life sciences buildings and laboratories. I had no idea that Harvard was like the king of the world when it comes to lab science. Um, and then another either. one I went to was the future of office, which we've been hearing about forever and ever and ever. And I think the most interesting thing they said there was they're like, okay, you need to do this to attract your workers to come back, blah, blah, blah. And then somebody in the audience raised their hand and they said, if you would just offer child daycare at the office, people would come back to the office. And it sounds logically accurate. Of course, for people who don't have kids, then it doesn't really matter. But um, right. yeah, so hey, companies, if, if you really want your employees to come back and, you know, they always have these mandates around Labor Day, you must be in the office three days, four days, five days, whatever. Just offer them late um, child care. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, that was that was most of it. I want to take a quick off ramp here as it relates to to return to work or return to office. And, and I'd like to know your personal thoughts. Um, let's, I mean, you live in Washington, D.C. The, the traffic in Washington, D.C. is great. It's not bad, right? But the I point is, I work from home. <laughs> well, that's fair. <laughs> let's, just, let's pretend for a moment that you had to travel downtown and, and go to an office every day. Do you, I guess, do you see the value of working in person? versus working from home, even though you don't, I don't know that you've ever had the experience of working in an office. I assume you have, but. I worked in an office for 30 years, for sure. Um, and as they mentioned in the, uh, the session, you make some of your best friends at work. I mean, you also right. have some of your best enemies, but you, <laughs> <laughs> you make some of your best friends there. And I used to love doing it because really it was the only thing I knew. And I took public transportation for the most part, which meant I got to read all my newspapers and magazines, you know, and, you know, during the commuting time. And then I got to see people and engage with people. Um, but since COVID, I mean, you know, you're all about the Zoom calls and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I can wear the same same T-shirt and shorts every single day. Of the, I mean, I looked in my closet the other day. I mean, I'm sure other people have done this. I'm like, oh, my God, I haven't worn this in two years. And nor will I <laughs> wear it in the next two years. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's stories like that. But, no, the camaraderie is great. Um, do you get more done? I, I've never had a problem being productive, no matter what I do. So I don't know that it makes me more productive, but I'm sure other people it does. Yeah, I, I agree with the, uh, I, I'm sort of torn. Racco Residential has been a remote operation for two or three years now, almost completely 100% remote. And I've been hoteling for the last 10 years, plus or minus myself. So I would just go use an office when I needed to, or I wanted to be around people. So it's kind of commonplace for me. Um, but I like the energy to your point. I like being around people. And even though I'm an introvert, I like being around people. I like hearing the noise of conversation going on around me. And it, there's a certain energy to that. And I, and I like that. Um, you went to the blueprint. I ran into you at the blueprint yes. conference in Vegas. Uh, I'm curious what you, uh, that, that's a kind of a newer addition to the conference, uh, circuit, yeah. I think. It was right? their second one. I think, I think second, maybe the okay. third, but maybe the second, um, yeah, and then you tell me what you thought. But I mean, I went there for a couple of reasons. One, it's real estate. Two, I could write about it. And there were a few friends who I knew were going, who I hadn't seen in a year, who I really wanted to see and have fun with and talk to. So, you know, I flew all the way out to Vegas, stayed there, what, three days, something like that. Um, yeah. Had a good time, hung out with them, met some new people, as I always do. And the content was was good. I don't know if it was great, but it was good. Uh, you can judge 
the value of content and conferences a lot of times based on the moderator, not the panel. Yeah. Because if the moderator's good, you know you're going to get something good. And some of the moderators, in all honesty, I thought were pretty bad. They, they, I don't know how they pick them. Um, a few other sessions were better. Um, they had a session there where they had four women, five women, and it was a lot like crew actually. So I went to it anyway, and they were talking about what it's like to move up the ladder as a woman in commercial real estate. So, I mean, I just thought it was fascinating. They were sharing personal stories and giving people advice who were in the, in the crowd. Um, they had so many different asset classes. This was kind of cool. One of the kind of keynote guys was the CEO of Douglas Elliman. Do you know what Douglas Elliman, do you know that? Douglas no. Elliman is a, a, a home real estate agency. They sell like celebrity mansions. You know what I mean? They're the people that if you have a $5 million home in some really cool place, you list it with them. You don't list it with Remax. <laughs> I mean, got it. Got it. I don't, he, so he was up there talking and, uh, you know, he was, he was a strange guy, but I was a little entranced with him. Um, just because, you know, quirky, rich people, you know, <laughs> that was fun. And another panel was a woman blanking. I don't know. Last name Soffer, um, S O F F E R. I can't think of her first name. If you've ever stayed in a hotel resort called Turnberry, um, they have a few really good resort high-end places in like South Florida or, you know, Palm Springs or, you know, all those kind of places. So I somehow had heard about her or did a story about her once. And, oh, I know what it was. I stayed at one of her hotels and it was beautiful. It was in Nashville. And it had art everywhere, um, not just paintings, but just it was very well decored. And if you don't know this about me, I'm kind of an art freak. I, I studied art in college. I love painting, sculpture, whether it's modern, every freaking century. So I went to the manager and I said, wow, I really like the way you guys dressed up this part of the hotel. It's beautiful. I said, who did that? And he said, oh, that's our CEO. She's really into art named, um, God, I can't think of her first name, Soffer. So I looked her up and I reached out to her. I wrote her a personal note and I FedExed it to her office because I really wanted to, you know how you can do that sometimes. Well, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. unbelievable. And this was, I got to tell you, Andrea Massey helped me with this from RealPage. She's like, Paul, you got to do it. You got to write to her. So I'm like, all right, whatever. So I wrote to her, but she never responded. I was so saddened by it. <laughs> and then I looked at Blueprint, and there she was in the lineup. So I had to go to her session. But then once again, again, the rich, it was one of those things where she was on stage. And you know when you go to conferences after the sessions, people, the, the speakers will either stand on the stage or maybe they'll step down. You can have a little Q&A, whatever. Well, they had like a back a back room behind a curtain that led to where they come in and out. So I literally got up towards the end of the session thinking I was going to have a chance to introduce myself. And she slipped out the back. Oh, so, yeah. So that's <laughs> twice in a row I got negged by her. Um, but you know what? When Jackie. Her name's Jackie. Jackie Sofer. Yes. Yeah. yeah she's I just looked pretty her, cool. Looked she's pretty up. nice. She's an art freak. Um, at least that's what the manager said. And she talked about art during her session. And, you know, well, Jackie, we're going to center, uh, center this episode of Collective Conversation. We're going to get her to respond to you. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, she's nice and polite and all. She's New Yorker transplanted in Florida, but that never stops me. <laughs> oh, yeah. play the yeah, long so game. I thought Blueprint was okay. I don't know that I'd go back because I had to pay my own way. Um, and then I have to kind of break even and all that, but, you know, twist my arm. I don't know. Sure. What do you think of that? You know, I, uh, so I'm high on the spectrum, right? Um, and the way it was organized, the way that the trade floor was organized, I actually loved it. Like mm -hmm. if I were to compare and contrast that to NAA and I have nothing against NAA, except that it's like, it's so big. This was intimate 
and it was except for that little place in the middle where there's like no COVID restrictions. There's like 7,000 people in a space this big. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I liked that all the booths looked exactly alike and they had their, you know, signage at the top and a little bit of a descriptor and it was organized in a way that it kind of flowed from front to back. And I really liked that part of it. What I didn't like, um, so I sat, uh, I was on a round table or participated in a round table with Dom beverage. Dom led the round tables. Uh, the topic was centralization, but it was right out in the, it was like off to the right, but just, just no wall separating the trade floor and that particular conversation. So it was very loud. It was very hard to, to hear and very hard to hack, actually have a conversation unless you were yelling across the table to the, to the people you're participating with. So I didn't like that part so much. Um, but I did, uh, did enjoy the, you could walk up and have great conversations with people who are doing neat things in the, in the space. And this was a broad range of things, right? It wasn't just multifamily to your lead point. It was, like a very broad set of asset classes. And so I really enjoyed the, the diverse nature of that. Yeah. I, I think what you're saying too, about the trade show floor that was interesting was they literally, I don't know how many spots or how many think booths they think they had maybe 40. Let's say they had 40 booths. Yeah. They, they divided them by subject matter. So like all of this, all of the certain type of, of vendor person right. would be collectively in this area. And I know that when I worked at NAA, people would mention that all the time, like, oh, my gosh, I have to walk from one end to the other to find out about two different pet amenity right. companies. Um, but at NAA, I think the booths get sold based on first come, first serve, and you get to choose your booth, which is great for the vendor. You know, do you want right. to be near the bathroom? Do you want to be near the food? Do you want to be near the front door, the back door, whatever? Uh, but this conference only had about 40, so they were able to collect them that way. And I think that helps people, too. Yeah, and I, I think that, at least as I understand the goal at NAA, that's really a fundraising event. And so, you know, you're going to sell bigger spaces, you're going to sell smaller spaces, and you're you're going to try to do as much rev gin as you possibly can because that the oh, revenue God, from yeah. that goes to support a broader deal, right? I, so I think the aim of Blueprint might be, well, it is obviously different, but I don't know. I, I really like that. I, I It works good for my brain, but, you know, it's not all about Mike, so... Right, right. And they said it'll be in Vegas again. So, um, you know, why not? I might as well, I might as well buy a little condo there. There's so many conferences there. I, there really are. That's not bad. I, gotta tell you, I was, I was la laughing just as a short side note. I, uh, so I'm, I'm a runner. So I was running one morning and, uh, so I come out of the hotel and I take off down the strip and I'm probably not even a half mile into my, my run. And I, I just run into this, like probably for a half mile, um, you know, the, the pot smell, <laughs> it's like, it's like six o'clock in the morning I'm running and I've probably got a contact high after about a mile. <laughs> to that oh, okay. it, was terrible. it was really terrible. I don't know what that has to do with anything, but I thought I would share. Um, well, let's, uh, I want to hear, so Optech, I think, is next up, right? That's next weekend, and that's yeah, back in May. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, um, it's the day after Halloween. So the week oh, yeah. of Halloween is when it is, which is kind of cool, because what I do is I go in a day or two early, because one, I love being in Vegas in the fall. It's fun. Mm -hmm. um, and I get to do a little Halloween stuff there before the conference starts. So I'm meeting up with some friends. We're going to get costumes, whatever, have a good time. And then the conference starts, uh, I think November one, two, three, something like that. Um, and yeah, um, I'll be covering some sessions there. Uh, the company that I work for full-time BH is, is sending me there to, to learn and to write because BH has a few people who are speaking on panels. So that'll be fun and good. Um, good to see everyone. It's a great conference. It's a great, it's all apartments. So, you know, I don't know if you're going, but when I, if I go, I'm going to know most of the people there, which is kind of makes it into a reunion, which is fun. Um, sure. See everybody. Um, now, here's the thing that we have to talk about later. Now, I don't know if you, I don't know. Are you going, by the way? Yeah, I'll, I'll be there. So I don't know if you saw this, but there's a new uh, music venue. Is that the right word? Called Sphere. Did you see that? I did not. 
Okay, so right in the middle of Vegas Strip, there's this big glowing ball. It's a ball. It's like a big beach ball that's all lit up. It's a sphere. And it's opening in about a week because it's a venue for entertainment, um, probably musical guests. And it's like a whole different experience and environment. Of course, we don't know anything about it because it, it hasn't really opened yet. The opening act, and they're playing like 25 dates, is U2. Oh. <laughs> so if you like U2, and most people do, and I know they're getting pretty freaking old, but I haven't seen them since 1990. I looked it up. I haven't seen them since the, um, what's it called? The Unforgettable Fire Tour, which was like, what was that? 1990 or something? 1988? A long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I saw it at an arena that doesn't even exist anymore. Anyway, um, I like you 2 I, I like them a lot. Um, so we're trying to get a group together uh, to go on the show on Wednesday, and I'll let you know if we pull it off or not. Um, yes, please do. Tickets are not cheap. <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> so... I got to think that vendor people might be taking their best clients there. I don't know. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see if we pull it off or not. Um, part of me just wants to get the general admission ticket and go by myself and just sit down on the floor. Um, and I might just end up doing that as a default, but I'd really yeah. like to go with a couple of, couple of pals, you know? So, yeah. yeah. So when you get into Vegas, now that I told you, your cab will drive right by it. You just didn't even know it. Um, and at night it's all lit up. That is so, yeah, I was just trying to think to myself, I didn't see anything like that being constructed the last time I was there, which was a I couple of weeks. I can't remember if I have your cell phone or not, but I'll text you a picture of it. If anybody okay. wants to see a picture of it, just reach out to me on LinkedIn or just look it up. Yeah. Um, we'll link it. We'll use your link to link it up in this show notes. Yeah. So. so let's just hope I have a story to tell about you too. Um, one of my friends who's going says she knows she her she's PR and her client works for like the lighting company or one of the logistic like the stagecraft. And she said she might be able to get tickets from them, but I'm not holding my breath. But you know, the dream of all dreams bucket list would be, oh yeah, here's some free tickets. Oh, do you want to come back and meet the band? You know, can you imagine if that happened? Yeah. I mean I've never you know, heard that. Not that I'm raising the bar. Um, not, Paul, you and I are not cute enough to have that. Happen. No, that is, well, that you never know. You never know. She <laughs> is, though. She, she could she could get us back there. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll introduce you when when we're out there. Um, yeah, so Optech is always good. Um, the agenda is up on their website. It talks about the topics that they're presenting. I don't know that it has all the speakers attached to it yet. That last I heard, they're still working on it. Uh, but I do know that BH is speaking on one that's about using AI for maintenance. Which oh, wow. I think, I think that's a different topic. I haven't seen that yet. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, the other one is about collecting data from multiple sources and bringing it together. Uh, BH is speaking on that. So I'll be at that one. Um, but yeah, it'll be fun. I don't even know who the keynotes are for Optech. I didn't even look. Um, I, I haven't. Maybe they uh, haven't made them yeah. No, I haven't even looked at the website this year. I just I went to NMHC and signed up, but I didn't uh, didn't take the time to actually look through the agenda, which is yeah, weird. So, um, <clears throat> if anyone's coming in early for Halloween, let me know. Um, would love to hang out. Um, yeah. So we keep bringing up Dom, and I have Dom on the list. I don't know. I'm sure you've read his revenue management piece, right? Yeah, we uh, we released an interview a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, that is just a fantastic piece of information. Just serves so many purposes. I, I told my old bosses at NAA, I said, when I did Units Magazine, people would always ask me like, hey, you should do some stories that teach the members about how the industry works. Because a lot of people who are in the maintenance department don't know how the marketing people work, don't know how the ops people work. And Dom kind of describes so much of that in his paper that it's almost like you could teach a class on what property management is. And oh, by the way, how we aren't a cartel, which is, which is the premise of the lawsuits that, you know, 
don't seem to go away. Um, anyway, I thought I'd mention that to people. If they haven't seen that paper, they should look for it. And it's free. I mean, you can download it. Yeah, you just go to 20for20.com, I think, is the is his URL address. And yeah, I, that that is probably the most deeply and well-researched uh, yes. white paper on revenue management that I that I've read, uh, certainly, but and, and give credit, he has co-authors too, Donald Davidoff, right. um, and I can't remember the other gentleman's name because I never met him. Um, but uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. We'll link it up. I think his name is Roper. Does that sound right? That sounds like the right last name. Yeah, I can't remember his first um, name. Yeah, so I sent it to a couple of companies, or I talked to a couple of companies about it, and they said, "Oh yeah, we saw it. We sent it to our lawyers." So I mean, I feel like I feel like Dom should get some some hourly figures, yeah. right? Put him on a retainer. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that that was a great paper. I was I was honored enough to to have him on the podcast right before. I think we released our episode the day the paper went live as well. So I kind of got a pre look at it, and it was I was just blown away by the how well written it was and, and the deep research that they did to put it together. And I told Dom this, and, and he and I have known each other a long time, and, you know, it's it's all good. He's like, well, didn't you see it? I said, well, yeah, I think I saw it, but I, I never went back to it to read it. Because I think the title of it is something like The Principles of Revenue Management, which is not that, it's not that insightful, inciting of a title. I said, you should have called it Why the ProPublica Lawsuits Are Total Bullshit. Yeah, yeah, and then people would have downloaded. (laughs) Yeah, it needed to be a little more clicky. It wasn't a clickbait article title. (laughs) So don't let the title fool you. It's (laughs) it's it's got daggers in there. It's really good. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Um, Talk to me. You you sent me another bullet point. I'm really deeply interested in this, the, the water leak detection in insurance. And I have a very specific question I want to ask about that, but you put it on here as a bullet point and I'm just interested in what your thoughts are. And then I want to ask you my, my question. Well, you know what, if I can't answer it, you can ask Dom because Dom's the one that gave me the idea. He and I were having lunch and he said, Hey, those water leak things, the price of insurance that multifamily operators are paying right now, especially in catastrophic areas or, or weather areas, stream, stream weather events. He says, if you put those things on your toilets, showers, you know, blah, 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 about leaks, do you get a break in your insurance premium? Because in a sense, you're preventing a flood or the floor to fall out or damage and all this kind of stuff. So when he asked me that, I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm on the case. So I just started asking everybody, including at these conferences, and if anyone out there has got some answers, I've yet to find anyone say, yes, we paid this premium, we got the leak thing, our premium went down. And that's even the providers of this technology. You know what I'm saying? You think they would have these studies of their clients like, oh, my God, we're going to save you 10 percent on your insurance because everybody needs to break on insurance right now. So that's why I put it on the list for this conversation, because if anyone out there wants to share anything about it, I could write a story out of it. I so under the premise of help a reporter out, I'm going to send you two names. And to me, these are the two guys that, that have deep expertise. One of them has incredibly deep expertise. The other, I think, has a very firm working understanding of how it, how it all works. Um, okay. Yeah, I don't want to see those two. Because no one's written that story. Everyone's written the story about insurance being high, but no one's written any stories about how to reduce your premiums, if you can even do yeah, it. Yeah. The, the one gentleman will tell you exactly why. Um, and he'll, <laughs> he'll tell you how he's working to navigate through all the bureaucracy that's involved in that whole thing. It's just, it's fascinating. I sat, I sat at dinner with him at Blueprint, as a matter of fact. Oh my gosh. Um, it dis- disclosure, full disclosure, where our company is actually invested in his company. Uh, but he's deeply fascinating. Um, yeah, you, you'll take a ton of, ton of notes <laughs> from that conversation. Uh, I, think yeah, it would my- be, I think it would be invaluable to the industry. I mean, come on. 
It, you know, it, I agree with that. And I think this is not my novel thought, what I'm about to, it's not really a question. It's more of a statement, but it is something that I think that, uh, it really resonated with me when the person said it. And I, I'm feeling to make, uh, attribution. I can't remember who said this. Anyway, long story short, it, it would behoove the insurance companies to come along and assist in, uh, retrofitting current multifamily buildings, right? in the way of leak detection sensors or whatever it might be, right? Because the insurance company is at risk, just like the owner of the building, right? And it's very expensive to retrofit a building with the sensor technology, whether it be for the water heater, for your risers, for your supply lines, et cetera, et cetera, anything that's water related or sewer related. But if, if an insurance company came along and assisted or subsidized in some way the retrofit of all these buildings, and then certainly you put, for new construction, you put regulations in place that the sensors just have to be built into the, to the infrastructure, then at least in my head, all of your insurance costs should go down because the risk is being mitigated to some extent. Not completely, but as it relates to flooding, which I think is... is uh, the leading cause of property damage, even in advance of fire. It's the leading cause of damage in an, in an apartment building. Yeah. Everybody wins if they, if they can make that happen for sure. For sure. That, um, the other story, if anyone out there wants to help me, um, well, let me ask you first, are you familiar with the, um, the chip manufacturer NVIDIA? I, <laughs> Yes. And their rocket ship stock price. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so I've talked about a video a little bit with people here and there. You know, I bought some shares a couple of years ago. I sold them way too quickly, but whatever. The more I read about that company and how they just crush it, I'm looking for somebody out there who has bought their chips. Because I've not read any story about what it's like to buy an NVIDIA chip. Because what you hear is, one, they can charge whatever they want because they're the only game in town. And two, um, it's hard to get them because there's like backlogs and stuff. And three, um, who do you call up? You know, I, I'd like to talk to one of the sales reps, you know, and just talk about the whole process. Because I think they're used in a lot of things. First, they were used in like gaming. Okay, great. That's not apartments. Now they're being used in a lot of AI things, and they're really being used a lot in data centers. And I know that's not apartments, but if anyone out there has any experience buying an NVIDIA chip or trying to buy an NVIDIA chip, I would love to tell that story. I think that, I think it's something that no one, people write about how great the company are and how great the chips are, but let's put yourself in the customer's shoes and write that story. So, yeah. Yeah, I like that. I don't know that I have anything off the top of my head for that one, but I'll... Uh... I, I like doing around. that kind of research. I just asked people like, hey, hey, data center developer, what was it like buying these chips? I can't get anyone to, to get back to me. But I I'm going to help you like, figure that one out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, as we kind of, I, I, we have two more topics here before we kind of bring everything to a close. Um, maybe, maybe you could talk about BH's Spirit Week. That sounds spirited and fun. I'd love to hear about that. And then we have to end cap with a Swifty story, a Taylor Swift story. And I think you have one. So we'll save that and we'll talk about BH Spirit Week first and then we'll, we'll end cap with Taylor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, BH Spirit Week. So I work at BH and, and I know companies do this about company culture and all this all this stuff. And I, I've, I've, I've posted it on LinkedIn before. I mean, we just won, we were named the sixth best company to work for in real estate. Um, Congratulations. Yeah. And number one was Camden, but they're sort of a, not sort of, they're an owner. We were the number one ranked management company. So all the third-party management companies out there, we rank number one in the real estate category. And I'm kind of bragging about this because I got some help, but I'm the one that wrote the the entry. They, that's, that uh -huh. was, people always say, well, what do you do for BH? Well, I wrote the entry about our company, about what it's great to work at. I mean, I got a lot of help from the BH staff, but you know what I mean. So sure. that's kind of cool. So this week is Spirit Week. It's like our anniversary, our 30th anniversary. And we have these activities every day that are like 30 minutes 
Um, you know, because it's our department is a remote department. We don't go into the office. So one day the the activity was everyone name a song and we put together a playlist and we had like 15 people um in the department and they said oh you know don't stop believing by journey or what you know whatever the song is and then as a collective group we talked about oh you liked it because of this oh this is cool oh i saw him in concert so it was kind of a cool little event and then yesterday it was take a walk in the community that you live in so that was kind of cool so i mean i walked around my neighborhood the leaves are changing colors. So I took a picture of myself in the middle of a, a tree area and people took pictures of their dogs and all this kind of stuff from dog walking. I mean, it's just, it's just fun stuff to do to bring people together, especially if they're not on site employees. Um, so I just wanted to tip my cap to my employer in that way. I, I, I love that. I think to the, to the extent that you can humanize your organization. And I think going back to your point about, um, developing friendships and some of the, some of the friendships that you develop are done right in the workplace. And it seems like even though this is virtual, the sharing of pictures out in your neighborhood or dogs or cats or whatever's going on in your life is just a way to humanize and create, uh, friendships that kind of bring the company together in a, in a deeper way. Right. Yes. Um, one of the things that BH is, I guess it's a requirement that you're supposed to do eight volunteer hours per year. So mm -hmm. one of our mm -hmm. events this week was people talking about, oh yeah, the time I did this volunteer thing. And then, and now a lot of people are new like me. I've never, I've never admittedly, I've never done volunteer work before. I mean, maybe I should, maybe I should get into it, but I've got to go find some place to volunteer and then tell people what it was all about. A lot of people go do things related to animals. Um, sure. I'm going to try to find something different that I can do. Um, I reached out to the Smithsonian Institute because I was hoping I could be a volunteer at the National Gallery of Art, but unfortunately, they don't have any volunteerships there. Um, <laughs> volunteer lecturer, yeah. maybe, right? Um, That's right. Yeah, yeah. So Taylor Swift, um, <laughs> Taylor Swift, I put something on LinkedIn about a month ago that got a lot of traction. I read this great line about Taylor Swift, and it was right before the NFL football season kicked off, and somebody said, the NFL, like the whole universe loves the NFL, the ratings, everybody watches the games. The only person that could ever outdo the NFL would be Taylor Swift <laughs> of her tour and everything else and, and her business acumen and all this stuff. So I thought that was kind of a funny post. And then what happens three weeks later, she gets into this romance with this player for the Kansas City Chiefs, <laughs> um, Travis Kelsey. So I've already, I've already engaged with Kate, you know, Kate Good, you know, Kate Good from the Department of All-Stars. She's the number one fan that I know. So I've already, I've already gone back and forth with her on it. Um, but yeah, so, so if people didn't, this is coming out afterwards, but this is, what are we, the Friday, the 29th right now. So the Monday yes. night football game is the Chiefs at the Jets in New York. Can you imagine what the ratings are going to be for that game because of so many people who are Taylor Swift fans who are only going to watch the game so that they can see her in the um, VIP suite with the window and that crap with her mom? And, and then the question always inevitably is, well, how long is this romance going to last? And, you know, all that kind of stuff, which is great. Um, there was a there was a clip after the, uh, the I guess the Bears. Is that who they played last week? It was a clip of her and Travis Kelsey watching out, walking out of the locker room. It's a five-second clip. I'm sure people saw it on social. And she kind of is smiling and laughing, and he's kind of smiling and laughing and looking at the camera and blah, 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 and it's all great. But this one guy, I couldn't find it, but this one guy put a tweet of that video up, and he goes, hey, bro, you look like a guy who's in too deep with a girl that's out of your league and you don't know what's going to happen next. And no matter what happens, it's a lose-lose situation. And you know what? He took, a, he took a, a screenshot of his facial expression during the video clip, and the guy nailed it. I mean, here's a guy that is in too deep. He's not going to be able to come out of this a winner. So I thought that was <laughs> No, that's a, that's a no win. In fact, I'm going to maybe potentially start a conspiracy theory in that the NFL – um, 
ratings potentially were suffering a bit and they phoned up uh, Taylor and they suggested that she find a player that she could have sort of a, a, a romance, whatever the definition of that is for her and uh, bring a lot of people to, to view the, the games. Well, I mean, it's like, duh, if she was the performer at halftime of the Super Bowl, there wouldn't there wouldn't be enough TVs to, to to satisfy the demand for her. I mean, she has not jumped the shark yet. Jump the is that what it's called? Jump the shark. Yeah, she hasn't done that yet. Um, yeah. One more thing before we get off. So my quick story is about ten years ago, she was, she was dating a member of of the Kennedy family of, of Massachusetts fame. Those Kennedys. Oh, there was a guy okay. she was dating. One of the sons or nephews or I don't know what it was. And I used to go to Cape Cod for summer vacation and we're Catholic and we went to the Catholic church and the Kennedys are Catholic. And it was kind of a joke because you never knew who would show up in the church. You know, like one time it was um, uh, one of the famous, Pam Shriver, you know, she was like Kennedy family and all that kind of stuff. And they're sitting right next to you in church, you know, sign a piece, all that stuff. So we were there one Sunday and my daughter was probably like, I don't know, 10 years old or something like Taylor Swift. I think this was her second album, maybe. And this church was kind of cool because they had a balcony. Um, It's an old church. The balcony had like where the organ player was and there were seats for like, I don't know, maybe eight or nine um, parishioners. And halfway through the church, someone determined that Taylor Swift was sitting in the balcony with the Kennedy boy. So it's like you're in church and you're all serious and you're praying and all this stuff. And, you know, you give your elbow to your daughter and then you tell your daughter, like you give her the kind of this thing and she turns around and looks up and Taylor Swift's like, hi. Yeah. Catholic. Isn't that great? It just goes to show, like, celebrities are people too, right? In that case, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and you're walking out of church, you know, and you shake the priest's hand, you shake the parishioner's hands, and we're like, and there's Taylor Swift, and you're like, I'm at church. Do I go get a selfie? Do I get an autograph? Do I pretend like she's just regular old plain Jane? What do you do? But that was my little Taylor Swift story. I love it. I love it. I I have no Taylor Swift story, so I can't even try to one up you on that. <laughs> I know she's very popular, incredibly popular, and I actually like one, one of the anti anti hero song. I actually like that song. Yeah, she's it's very she's talented. Definitely, definitely. Uh, all right. Well, hey, Paul, it is is always a pleasure. I we will have to do another episode on the heels of the fall uh, conference circuits so that we can catch up on uh, takeaways from Optech, certainly. And I think there are a couple of others before we get to the end of the year, but uh, I always have fun talking to you. <laughs> Sounds good. Looking forward to seeing you down the road and anyone else out there, please come say hi. Yep, definitely. And we'll link up as much as we can in the show notes. And if you can help Paul out in terms of his uh, reporting on the various topics that we've talked about today, please do that. Uh, we'll link up his contact information and certainly the prior episodes that we've done. I think this is the third third or fourth one we've done. So yeah. uh, for everyone else out there, uh, thank you. And we'll see you next time on Collective Conversations. Take care.